Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Morning, church. Good to see all of you today. My name is Michael, and I'm the lead pastor here. And we are uh, continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke. I got a quick update for you before um, we get into that. Um, Many of you have been praying for Patrick White, who is the pastor of our sister church, Christ the King Eastern Hills, who uh, has uh, had kidney cancer. And uh, this past Friday, uh, he had his one kidney removed. Uh, Laura and I went to visit him in uh, the hospital yesterday and got to speak with him, pray with him for a few minutes. And uh, he's doing great. Uh, he looks great. Um, he's still waking up from the anesthesia, but otherwise, um, he seems like he's recovering well. If, if you want to pray for them specifically, um, pray for them as they transition back home, um, because that'll take a little while for them to just get, get used to him being in a weakened state, getting back in the house. And they've got four kids, including two very, very young twins. Um, so it's a, it'll be a busy thing for them uh, and pray for being, being able to leave the hospital quickly and for him to heal quickly and for just pain management because he is still experiencing a good bit of pain. So Patrick White, um, be in prayer for him. Um, as more updates come available, well, uh, if anything changes, we'll let you know. Um, but good sign so far. We're encouraged by that. All right, we're in, the, we're in a series in the Gospel of Luke, and this is the final week of a four-week little mini-series on the Sermon on the Plain that we've been doing. So we're at the conclusion of Jesus' sermon. So this is where Jesus lands the plane of his sermon, makes his closing remarks, drives his points home. And if you know Jesus, hope you do know Jesus, you know the way Jesus preaches, he doesn't conclude his sermons with an amusing, amusing anecdote or a sentimental poem, right? Uh, Jesus concludes his sermon with a choice. He presents us a set of contrasts that causes us to make a decision. So up to this point, Jesus has been teaching about life in the kingdom of God. So living in the world as citizens of the kingdom of God. And so now as he moves towards the conclusion, he summarizes the themes of the kingdom with some vivid illustrations. And then he calls us to make a decision for us to choose to follow Christ, to follow him. So the decision before his hearers and the decision that's before each of us today is what will we do with Jesus' teaching? What will we do with Jesus' teaching? Will we put his teaching into practice? Will we follow the way of the kingdom? Will we obey Jesus' teaching? So let's dig in. That's where we are. We're going to start off, there's a, there's a, a fruit and a foundation, or the two big illustrations that we'll look at. So we'll start off with the fruit, and we're in Luke chapter 6, and we'll start at verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. 
for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We'll pause here. These three verses, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, these three verses gives us a metaphor and a lesson. A metaphor and a lesson. So the metaphor is about trees and fruit, right? So he says, each tree is known by its fruit. So he's talking about how to identify different kind of trees. So apples only grow on apple trees. That's obvious. Oranges only grow on orange trees. It's common sense. So if you've got an apple in your hand, you know what kind of tree that apple came from. You know, 100% certainty, it came from an apple tree, not any other kind of tree. And not only that, Jesus says you can tell how healthy the tree is by the quality of the fruit that you have. So if you've got a bushel of apples and all the apples in that bushel are small and brown and spotted, then you'll know that the tree that they came from was not a healthy tree. That's the metaphor. Now, what's the lesson? The lesson is about people. And Jesus says there are good people and bad people. Now, Jesus is not implying that there are people that have good in themselves. That's not what he teaches. He says elsewhere in the Gospels, there is none good but God alone. So Jesus is not teaching that there are people who are good in themselves. Rather, in this context, good people are those who follow Jesus. And good people are Christians who follow Jesus' teaching. So in the Bible, the goodness or badness of a person is always relative to whether or not they have faith in Jesus. So a good person is one who has faith in Jesus and they follow him. A bad person is one who does not have faith in Jesus and does not follow him. But goodness and badness is never divorced from faith. Faith always is, is the, the preeminent factor. The good person has faith in Christ and then through faith, they receive from God a treasure of spiritual blessings, right? So Christians, this is us. As Christians, we believe in Jesus. We follow Jesus. We have faith in Jesus. And as a result of that faith, we receive this treasure, the treasure of forgiveness of sins, adoption into God's family, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We receive power from God to obey Jesus and to grow in him. We receive the hope of eternal life. This is the good that is within the person. It's a good that God put there. So the good is not something internally generated by the human being. The good is, a, is something that God put within them. So Jesus says, good treasure in your heart produces good fruit. When there's goodness in the heart, that produces goodness in your life. And the heart is key. That's the thing. The heart is key. So if we take into account the broader context of the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus is saying that you need a good heart to live a good life, right? You need a good heart to live a good life. The treasure, the good treasure in your heart will produce something good in your life. So living in this world as a citizen of the heavenly kingdom is a miracle of divine grace. And it begins in the heart. So if you are to do the things that Jesus said in this sermon, if you are to love your enemies... If you are to bless those who curse you, if you are to do unto others that which you would have them do unto you, if you are to be merciful as our Father is merciful, 
if you were to not be self-righteous or judgmental to others, if you were to take the log out of your eye in order to help somebody else remove the speck from their eye, if you are to obey the teaching of the sermon, then you need good treasure deposited into your heart. You need God's transforming grace in your life. You need to be a Christian. Somebody whose commitment is to Jesus. Somebody who's looking to Jesus to receive from him that, what they need. Now, of course, this doesn't happen all at once. It's not as though a person becomes a Christian and immediately everything snaps into place and life is wonderful and beautiful and incredible. It's little by little. It's a transforming grace that works itself out little by little, little over their lifetime. In Galatians 5, the apostle Paul calls it fruit. He calls it fruit of the Spirit. Because that's what the Spirit produces within us. And the fruit of the Spirit, there are nine of them. It's not an exhaustive list, but love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the descriptors that sort of package together the, the character traits that you would expect from a person who's living as a citizen of God's kingdom. The point here is that your inner life matters. Who you are on the inside matters just as much as what you present on the outside. So your outer life is the overflow of what's going on in the inner life. Nothing comes out of you that wasn't already there in the first place. Let me give you an example. The natural human way to love people is contractual, right? This is how friends love each other. Friends love each other in a way that's sort of like a mutually beneficial agreement. Where you say, I agree to love you. Of course, none of this is spoken out loud. If you did, it, was, it would be awkward. So nobody says this out loud, but it's sort of a thing we know intuitively. I agree to love you as long as you agree to love me in return. And as time goes on, we kind of maintain this love contract. And so in a way, the love that you share with a friend is like a treasure, right? It's like a good treasure that's in your heart. It fills up your love tank. You, you, you receive love from them, and that enables you to continue loving them in return. So you feel loved by them, and you give love to them in return. Now, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's a common grace thing that is just part of the human experience. But there's nothing supernatural about that. That's Mere human love. You don't need to be a Christian to love in a contractual way the way we normally do. There's nothing special about loving people who agree to love you in return. However, let's say a friend turns into an enemy. Then they are no longer giving you love. You're no longer receiving love from them. And you're no longer giving them love. And they are no longer receiving love from you. Then what happens? Well, the original love contract is broken. When that contract is broken, then they're not filling your love tank anymore. You're not filling their love tank. In fact, you're draining one another's love tank. The good treasure in your heart becomes a deficit. It, it depletes. It, it empties out. Now, the theme throughout the Sermon on the Plain is that what I just described, that dynamic, is not the way of the kingdom. 
The kingdom of God operates differently. It's a different paradigm. So for you to love an enemy, you'll have to draw spiritual and emotional resources from some place other than that other person. You're not reciprocating what they've given to you. You're having to give to them something that you have not received from them. You're having to love them in a totally different way. You're giving them something you do not naturally, in your fallen human state, you don't naturally possess that. And so citizens of the kingdom of God receive from the Father a treasure of love. We receive from him this good life, these good blessings and promises we receive from our heavenly Father. Our Father whose very being is defined as love. And so by faith, citizens of the kingdom of God first receive love, not from that other person. We first receive love from our heavenly Father who deposits that treasure into our hearts. And then out of that treasure overflows into love for others, even an enemy. We're loving based on a totally different principle. It's not human love. It's a, it's a divine, supernatural love that can only come as it is enabled by the, the Spirit, as, as the Father has sent His Spirit into our hearts, producing this treasure of goodness and love within us. Think of it this way. Natural human love is like mom and dad sending their child off to college, right? And they give the kid a debit card. They say, okay, this debit card is to pay your expenses while you're off at college. But there's a preset limit. Some of you may have experienced this. Your parents send you off to college and maybe they give you a card and there's some money on it. But you can't overdraw that account. You can spend down, but eventually there's, they're going to hit your limit. And so if you, if you go over that limit, you're going to have to pay the overage yourself. So as mere humans, there's only so much love that we're capable of. In a fallen world, we're naturally limited. We're, we're, we're limited by our human condition, but we're also limited just by sin, right? So then Jesus comes along, and what does he say? He says, love your enemies. What? That's nuts, Jesus. What do you mean, love my enemies? That's not possible. I, I, I do a crappy job loving my friends. I do a terrible job loving my family. It's hard enough as it is to love people that love me back. How can you say love an enemy? How can you say all the other things that he said in the sermon on the plane? How can we do that? So Jesus says, love your enemies. Love the difficult people in your life. Love people who would do you harm. And you think, I can't do that. I'll overdraw my account. I'll be running a deficit. I can't do it. I don't, I don't have those sort of resources. And that's true. Loving your enemies to try to do this in human strength, you will deplete your account because you don't have the sort of spiritual and emotional resources you need to offer love to somebody who is draining you. That equation doesn't work. You'll end up a sad and bitter person. Unless you call up your dad. Hey, father, I've depleted my account. I've run out. I don't have anything left. I can't afford this thing. It's more than I can pay for. And what does your father say? He says, I know. And I've already deposited a huge sum into your account. I've already got it covered. 
You can't afford to love them on your own. You need to love them from my treasure that I'm depositing every day into your account. A a treasure of grace, a treasure of mercy, a treasure of resources of the Spirit, a treasure of all the hope and all the blessings that belong to you as a child of God. I've deposited that into your account. You love drawing from that account, not from your own account. And the thing is that that treasure is already there. It was already there. We just didn't know it. It took a big, unexpected expense before we realized, I can't afford this. I have to go to the Father and say, Father, help me. I can't do this. I can't pay this. And the Father says, I've got it covered. You go ahead and love them with resources that you don't think you have, and I am here to supply you with all you need. You keep coming back to me, and I'm going to keep that treasure full. And so the Father puts this good treasure in our hearts. And so to make it practical, we can... We can think of a principle in this way. The power to obey Jesus always accompanies the command to obey. The power to obey Jesus always accompanies the command to obey. What did Jesus say in Matthew 10, verse 8? He said, freely you have received. Freely what? Freely give. NIV, maybe you're not as familiar with it. But Matthew 10, 8 says, freely you have received. Freely give. The indicative, you've received. The imperative, give. Jesus put money on your spiritual debit card. It says go to town, go nuts. Because there's nothing, you're never going to run out. So this command to live a radical life in the kingdom will force us again and again and again to draw from the Father's account, not from our own. And that's the challenge of this sermon. The challenge of the Sermon on the Plain is that Jesus calls us to this lofty standard that forces us to rely on his power because we don't have the power in ourselves. So that's the fruit. Praise the Lord. Wait, we, can, we can praise Jesus for that, can we not? <laughs> yeah. All right, now let's look at the foundation. Here's the second metaphor. The foundation. Verse 46 Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Now, let's just pause there for a second, and let's get this out of the way. Jesus is being really blunt here, right? Jesus is saying, don't call yourself a Christian if you're not willing to obey my teaching. Don't call yourself a Christian if you're not willing to obey my teaching. And then Jesus goes on to illustrate The need to obey his teaching with another metaphor and another lesson. Let's read these. Verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. In Matthew's version, he says, on the sand. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So what's the metaphor? It's about two ways to build a house. There's a smart way, and there's a dumb way. (laughs) The smart way to build a house is to do what? You dig down deep. 
and you build on a solid foundation because it's stable, it's strong, it won't shift around. This kind of house built on that foundation will itself be strong. And that house could take a beating. It can withstand heavy rains and floods and streams. Let me show you a picture. You see this picture? Is it up there? So I Googled an image for this sermon. And I came up with this picture. This is the, the remnants of after Hurricane Michael blew through. My favorite hurricane, in case you didn't know. Um, wiped out an entire neighborhood. But this house withstood. And, of course, what, they, uh, what the article said is, like, this house was built to handle the big one. They called it the big one, you know. And, of course, you see it. Hurricane blew through, and there's the house. The house is standing strong. All right. Um, the dumb way to build a house is to build a house on the sand because it doesn't have a stable foundation, right? It, it, it lacks the strength. Now, let me show you a video. Just watch this. We'll watch it for a second, and then... Uh, I'll talk over this video. Oh, there it goes. Yikes. Nobody was in that house. Uh, they, the article was, or the video was quick to point out. That's a metaphor. Here's a metaphor. What's the lesson that we're watching here? This will play for another minute. What's the lesson? The lesson is build your spiritual life on a firm foundation. Firm foundation. So in the metaphor, you've got two men that each build a house, a smart man and a dumb man. And both of them have houses that look fine on the outside. That's a, that's a nice house. That's a nice looking house. At least it was a nice looking house. Both of them have, have nice houses and initially they look fine. They're nice houses. From the outside, they look fine under normal circumstance. The difference between the two houses does not become evident until what? Till the storm comes. And when the storm comes, that's when you know what the house was made of. It takes the storm to reveal what's underneath. It takes the storm to demonstrate the strength or lack of strength in the house. So in our lives, the difference is evident when a storm comes along. Whenever there's a trial, when your back is against the wall, that's when you find out whether or not your spiritual house has a firm foundation when the storms and the rains hit. So what's the point here? The point is build your spiritual life on a firm foundation. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to build your spiritual life on a firm foundation? Well, you probably have a couple answers ready to go. Building on a firm foundation, well, you might immediately jump in and say, well, the foundation of the Christian life is scripture, doctrine, the truth, solid theology, the word of God. No argument there. You might jump in, but well, actually, the firm foundation is Christ. Jesus is the firm foundation. He's the cornerstone. No argument there. Both of those are true statements. Don't hear me say anything other. However, let's read carefully the text because Jesus tells us what that firm foundation is. So he has a very specific meaning that doesn't preclude the other two. Of course, Scripture. Of course, Jesus himself. Those are our foundation. But Jesus has something more specific in mind, so we want to read the text carefully so we don't miss something vital. So verse 47. Have a look at verse 47. And then you tell me. I want to hear you say it. What does Jesus say the foundation is? Any ideas? Verse 47. 
obedience. Hmm, that's right. The foundation is those who come to Jesus, they hear the words, and they do them. So you do have scripture there, right? But it's not just the right doctrine of scripture. It's actually putting scripture into practice, applying it to your life. Verse 46 says the same thing. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? It's obedience. So this maybe is a little unexpected. In this specific context, the firm foundation Jesus is talking about, the foundation that can withstand the storms and the trials, is not mere intellectual belief. It is obedience. It's trust. Now, in our theological tribe, that's not our go-to answer a lot of times. A lot of times we think that having the right theology is all that it means to have a firm foundation. And so if you have a new disciple, somebody, a new Christian, and you want to tell them, hey, I want, I want you to start your Christian faith off right. I want you to have the right foundation. So here's Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology textbook. Read all 1,500 pages and talk to me in two months. <laughs> no, he's saying like, the foundation is to take whatever you know and be faithful to that much. It's like, let me give you one thing. Now, you be faithful with that one thing. You obey that one thing. You develop a habit of putting into practice what Jesus tells us to do, and then we keep working on that every day. But a lot of Christians think that having the quote-unquote correct theology, correct view on things, they think that that's all you need, and they don't prioritize putting Jesus' words into practice. The difficult words of the Sermon on the Plain in particular, that's the immediate context Jesus is referring to. He's saying the things that we've been talking about throughout this four-week series, put those things into practice. That's the foundation that can withstand the trials of life. So it doesn't matter how correct your views are. If you don't obey Jesus' teaching, that's hypocrisy. And that's dumb, <laughs> to put it frankly. That's dumb. To hear and not do. See also James, the book of James. Uh, you can learn about that if you sign up for Cameron's uh, class this summer. Now, certainly Jesus knows what his teaching will sound like when people hear it, right? Jesus Hears, he knows what it will sound like and that it will seem unattainable to them. But he doesn't back down. Not an inch. He doesn't back down. He insists upon the necessity of putting his teaching into practice. And so the foolish builder's faith is a fair weather faith. The foolish builder's faith is a fair weather faith. It's sunshine and blue sky faith. Because they apply it, the foolish man applies it when it's easy. He applies it in the things that are right in front of him and that, that, that are easy, but, it, but he doesn't put it into practice the more challenging things. And of course, the house doesn't crash right away. He builds a house, and as long as the skies are blue, his, his house will be fine. His house crashes only when it gets hard. His house crashes when the storm comes, when the big one hits. And since he doesn't put Jesus' teaching into practice in the difficult times, he's unprepared for the big one. 
when it hits. Now, the wise builder, the smart builder, his faith is a battle-tested faith. He puts Jesus' teaching into practice in ordinary situations. When the sky is blue, he's still doing the difficult thing. He's still putting into practice the difficult teaching. Walking by faith, day by day, little by little, drawing resources from the Father's account, bearing fruit. You ever think about the great heroes of the faith? I do this sometimes. If I hear a story of some great martyr from the past, if I hear a preacher talking about it, and and I think of somebody like went to the lions or, you know, were burned at the stake or whatever, and then, of course, in my imagination, I want to think how I would do that. That would be me. I would, I, I would, I would be there to stand in the arena. I'm like, I will die before I will deny my Lord, you know. Like, I want to think that that's me. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm just weird. I don't know if anybody else does that, but I kind of think of myself that way. And so I, sometimes I wonder, would I actually do it in that situation? Well, that situation would be the big one, right? That would be the crazy, like, hard-to-envision scenario. But I tell you what, the men and women who stood tall in those situations were the ones who stood tall when the skies were blue, when things were going well. An ordinary, day-by-day kind of faith. That's how you get that sort of resolve within your soul, is by putting it into practice in ordinary situations. How we obey when skies are blue will prepare us for how we obey when the big one hits. Now, we need this teaching because every one of us is going to face some kind of storms. There's some trial that's going to head our way. And we all face different kind of trials, different kind of storms, some bigger than others. But certainly, we're going to face hardship. Some of you have been through devastating personal trials. You've already been through the big one. I think of Patrick White, who was diagnosed with kidney cancer. and was, he's, He has one less kidney than the rest of us. And so he's been through a significant health concern. There are others of you that have significant problems with your marriage or other family relationships or some other interpersonal conflicts. Some of you have significant financial struggles. And even if you're not in the middle of one now, there's a good chance, sooner or later, there's a big one that's going to land. I'm not saying be afraid of it. I'm just saying that that's biblical. There's a big one that'll land in the middle of your life. And when that big one hits, it may shake your faith. The storms will beat on your house. The streams will rise. The floodwaters will rise. I don't want your house to crash. When the big one hits, it may shake you all the way to the core. It may rock your world. Think of those families in Texas. Rock their world. Think of the the scandal that was uh, reported about the Southern Baptist Convention. How many people's worlds have been rocked by a big one? And many people's faith has been shaken, right? I mean, that, a lot of people say, I can't do this. 
I can't do this anymore. We can't guarantee one another that there's no big one headed our way. Who knows what form it'll take? But we want to be prepared, right? And whenever the big one hits, your soul will respond according to the foundation you have laid. Either a wise foundation or a foolish foundation. How you respond will correspond to the foundation that you've laid. So for some people, the big one hits and they're unprepared and their spiritual house crashes and they don't recover. For other people, the big one hits, they cling to their faith like a thread, but they make it through, but they're damaged, they're wounded. For other people, the big one hits and they take a beating and they suffer faithfully and they stand firm. Some even strengthen when the big one hits. That's crazy to think about. But some people have so wisely laid that foundation of faithful obedience when skies were blue that they've developed within them the persevering resilience that enables them to withstand when the big one does hit. Well, the good thing about metaphors is that they're metaphors. Metaphors open up the imagination. They, they trigger in us thoughts that uh, kind of get us thinking in a new way. It forces us to a decision. So Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Plain, speaks in polarities. There's wise and there's foolish. There's good and there's bad. These, these extremes, these poles that Jesus points us to, to make it vivid and to drive us to a decision. But the, the reality is that life for most of us happens between those extremes. They, they happen in this day-to-day kind of, kind of process of, of, of choosing each day, dying each day. And that's where we have to make a choice that Jesus puts before us to choose between two options. Two trajectories are laid out before us. Will we be a bad tree or a good tree? Will we bear bad fruit or good fruit? Will we have bad treasure or good treasure? Will we be a foolish builder or a wise builder? Will we build on the sand or on a firm foundation? These are choices. Choices that we have before us to make. And Jesus leads us to a choice of whether or not we will put into practice the things that he has presented to us. And it's a choice we make every day. It's not as though you make the choice once and that settles the matter for the rest of your life, right? It's like you make the choice every day. You've forgiven somebody today. Great. Tomorrow, guess what? You'll have to forgive them again. And the day after that, guess what? You'll have to forgive them again. Because every day you're choosing, what kind of foundation am I putting down? Every day, that's what we do. We choose. We have to die to ourselves and take up our crosses and follow Jesus. But here's another thing. The road of discipleship is paved with grace. So even if you screwed up yesterday, Even if you were a fool yesterday, you got bad treasure in your heart, you're a bad tree with bad fruit. If that's you, if that's your life, guess what? He gives more grace. We can draw from the Father's account because we can't outspend His grace. We can't outrun His grace. 
We ask his forgiveness. We receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Can we keep going? Upon grace upon grace. It doesn't end. His mercies are new. How often? Once a year, right? Once every 49 years and a year of jubilee. No, how often is his mercy made new? Every morning. Whatever you did yesterday, however bad you screwed up yesterday, guess what? This morning, when your alarm went off, you wake up and you can put a smile on your face and just be, and, and be reminded that his mercies are new every morning. So you might look at your life and think, you know, I've, I've been a fool. I've been building on sand. I have not been obeying Jesus. I've been hating other people. Today, draw from the Father's account. There's plenty there. Receive his grace. Yesterday, it might seem like your spiritual house crashed and burned. And that's okay. You look to Christ and you receive more grace. Yesterday, you might have failed miserably. And that's okay. Because today, his mercies are new. So today is a new day. Today, you're going to follow Jesus. Fearless prediction. Today, you are going to follow Jesus faithfully. And I can say that because I believe that Jesus gives us power where he gives a command. And so the choice is before you. The choice is before all of us every day. And today, you guys, us today in this church, Christ the King Church, we will follow Christ today. Am I right? We're making that choice. We're making that choice today. We're going to lay a solid foundation. We're going to dig down deep. We're going to draw from our Father's account. We're going to love a little better. We're going to keep our eyes on Jesus. And if by 4 p.m. you've screwed it up massively, it's okay. In Jesus, you're okay. His mercies are new every morning. And you don't even have to wait till the morning. <laughs> Like, I screwed up this day. I guess I might as well party tonight. No, no. His mercies are new right now. Be renewed in the gospel right now. Receive from him. Trusting that he will carry you through. His strength is with you. His power is with you. He sees you. He loves you. He's got you in his hands. Today is the day we follow Christ. Well, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the, the promises that accompany your commands. Thank you, Father, for the endless account of treasure and goodness that we receive that is poured into our lives and that we draw from every day. Thank you that as we come to the table today that we eat a piece of bread and a little cup of juice, but it's a feast of the Spirit. And we are filled up and nourished and satisfied, overflowing with what you have provided. So may we feast richly on what you've given us. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone here who is convicted by sin, that they will see the grace and goodness of Christ. They will see the forgiveness that is theirs, and they will lay it aside and receive your grace, your mercy being made new. They will repent, and they will choose today to follow Jesus' teaching. I pray for those here that have been obedient, Lord. Maintain them. Strengthen them. May they dig down deeper. May they press further. Lord, prepare each of us for the big one. 
I pray that it never comes, but if it does, may we be ready to be faithful. Thank you, Jesus. You've purchased all of this by your blood, and you died on the cross, and you rose again the third day in victory and power. Thank you. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksnc.com.